I mean, you think about, you know, lust, prudence, uh, temperance, patience, diligence, you know, these are things that people can't even pronounce or spell, much less aspire to. And these are the things that the pilgrims named their daughters. I know. <laughs> diligence. Come here, Dilly. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here as usual with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys? Great. Great. Great, Nick. Well, depending on your place on the political spectrum, you're either sure we have a president-elect, Joe Biden, or just pretty sure we have a president-elect. But (laughs) we all keep seeing these weird tweets and TikTok videos of postal employees destroying ballots. How are your guys' congregations, the folks in your life, handling the aftermath of this election? Yeah, pretty good. You know, our congregation is mostly conservative. I think we maybe have one or two very quiet Democrat voters. But so there's like sorrow and sadness and people are watching the recounts with hope. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it, you know, it, ever diminishing, you know, I would say. Yeah, yeah, ever diminishing. And, and so when Obama was elected and then reelected, same kind of like, it, it, there, there always seems to be a more apocalyptic well, we know Jesus is coming back soon. This is the world. The world is headed to the end, right? And then when a Republican gets elected, it's oh, got some. We got some more time here. So. Yeah, I mean, we're in South Carolina. I mean, that's you know, uh, yeah. so the predominant. I mean, I think Lindsey Graham, despite the hundred million dollars poured into that campaign for his op- opponent, still beat the guy like by. 20 something points. I mean, it was same here. In and so in general, I think our congregation is probably much like yours. I think it's, um, you know, there's a resignation. I mean, no one that I know has harmed themselves or has, you know, strapped themselves to a, <laughs> a courthouse steps or something. <laughs> there hasn't been any uh, sort of outward signs of, of genuine despair, but I mean, there's a disappointment. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, in any election, there's a disappointment. I think sure. that everyone Every election that I've been alive for has been um, heralded as the most important election, um, you know, in the history of, of the world. And, you know, and that's because they have consequences. I mean, that's not a that's not a true. That's not a trite thing. I mean, it does change the, you know, doesn't thank God in our system, as we've talked about, it, it, at least ideally can't have a huge course correction or at least a, we don't jump channels, you know, but it does direct the flow of our the history of our nation in a in a different way so you know i can see disappointment i just am grateful that as, as of now it's a it's the amazing bloodless you know transfer of power i mean that's that's the beauty and beautiful thing about it and and i think if there's any disappointment like we were talking about offline um that the fact that there are these there's enough smoke to keep people anxious about the legitimacy of it, which is disappointing to me. Like I was really, really hoping whatever the outcome that there, we wouldn't be where we are right now. And I don't know if that was naive or just um, too optimistic, but that was, I was, if I was a praying, if I'm being honest about the actual election itself, if you were a praying man, if I was a praying, that's right. I, I sent my thoughts and prayers um, you know, to straight to heaven on this one point, and I have been rebuffed. So, in the Lord's providence, He has decided to answer my prayer in a different way. So, we'll yeah. see what His purposes are in that. Yeah, politics used to be one of my passions. I stayed. I used to stay up 
all night long on election night just to watch um, just to watch things come in, and it, it would totally affect my attitude. So if I, if my guy lost, it would be I would be devastatingly depressed for rending your garments. Yeah, really. I mean, I, I would be that. It would be that bad. And so last night, yeah, I, I kind of got that, that kind of got went away with during the Obama administration because. I realized, you know, I'm gonna. I've done this for 20 some odd years now, staying up for an election night and just driving myself insane. And really, yeah, some things have changed, but nothing, nothing, nothing is has really dramatically changed my personal life. There, okay, had the healthcare thing, yeah, but I mean, really, I got the kind of Solomonic Ecclesiastes sense of this is just chasing after the wind, and it kind of became much less important to me after that. Yeah. No, I feel, I feel a certain sense of calm. I mean, if anything, it's like, it's the older I get, you know, and sort of the, the um, humanity of all of these people, uh, myself included, is more and more evident um, at every stage. And so, you know, kind of the, the idea of, I mean, like when I was in high school, the idea of meeting the president was like an unheard. It was like meeting an alien. Like, I mean, he's not a real person, you know, now I'm like, well, you know, if I was invited, I'd make sure I had time. Um, but, you know, I, I, I understand that these people are just fallible human beings themselves. Now, they have an amazing amount of power, which I'm grateful for. Again, in our system, they're not able to wield that um, unilaterally. I mean, that's the best part about it. So yeah. if we do have a divided government, then it goes back to basically being unable to do anything. Then we'll be like one of the districts, hopefully one of the functional districts in the Hunger Games and let those people do their thing. <laughs> <laughs> they sort of have their balls and all of their parties and their insulated life up there and leave me alone and we'll figure it out um, as we go. And that's what I have been impressed upon. Um, what has been impressed upon me more than anything, particularly back to these mask mandates. And I've been talking about this in my class is that the power of the local government, you know, like your local, like for instance, our local, uh, the Isle of Palms, which is connected by a bridge to Mount Pleasant, which is our main beach access, their little local government, evidently, as we found out, can decide to outlaw people that don't live there from going to the beach there if they want because of because of COVID, you know, so all of a sudden, it's like, well, hey, how can I get on this Isle of Palms uh, committee, if I don't live on it, you know, I mean, the questions like that are your local your local, you know, omnibusman or whatever you have up in New York, Matt, who can decide whether how many people can go to church on a Sunday, you know, these yeah. are powerful positions, you know, yeah. so, you know, the president is, is one thing, but in, in my everyday life, um, my little town council has done more to disrupt my, my life than, than, you know, Trump or, or Biden or Obama, whoever has ever, or at least directly been able to do. Now I know and understand how it filters down, but, but that's what's, that's what sort of, you know, the, the, I think it's, I forget the stream of Catholicism, but it's, it, it's, um, uh, subsidiarity, you know, that the doctrine of subsidiarity, that the, the, the most local answer to the most local problem is the best, you know, so we don't have a federal fire. You know, when you have a fire in your house, you don't call the, the federal fire department to fly down a, <laughs> a fire truck, you know, you call the guy, the people next door to you or whatever. And so that, and I think there's some truth to that, that I think in light of all of the craziness that 2020 has brought is going to be re, um, not reestablished or, or the very least highlighted as a truism that I think only is positive for the church because, you know, it turns out when we can't see people, we miss them. And when we can, we only ultimately want to see the people who we genuinely love and care about. And within the church, then they will, we will be known by our love for each other, see how they love one another. And hopefully that'll be, be something attractive going forward. 
Well, listen, we're going to get to our, our uh, topic for today. I'm not really sure how this conversation will go. We'll see how it unspools. Uh, we thought we'd try to do another, at least tangentially, election-related topic this week. So we're going to talk about compassion. I suppose, more accurately, at least what seems to be a lack of true compassion. I can only imagine the kind of gloating, for instance, that's going on online. I sort of thought that Instagram would be a safe haven from all of that, but it's not. Apparently, a picture can be worth a thousand smug words. But I'm sure that you all have heard folks who voted for the winner lording it over those other people. I've even seen some election maps with the comments like, look how much of the country is still racist. <laughs> but yeah. of course, this kind of thing is not a democratic issue. Republicans are like this too. Sports fans, foodies, compassion for people unlike you seems to be um, dead or dying everywhere you look. Us and them seems to be the default way of talking about people. We're inclined to see other people, I think, unless they're exactly like us, as completely different from us. And since we're normally predisposed to think of ourselves as good, we tend to think of them as bad. And my suspicion, you guys, is that you're going to want to find a theological underpinning for this human problem. So let's start there. How did we find ourselves in this mess? And it seems to me we can go all the way back, can't we, to, to a garden and a promise and a whispered temptation. I think you're right about the, the, just the core human problem which is which is self-justification because we because we want to be gods we believe ourselves to be gods and we don't want the real god we want ourselves uh then the natural the way that plays out in our human relationships is well you if those who are like me uh in appearance and opinion and uh you know the way that they dress or whatever uh, those who are like me are clearly good because I'm clearly good. And, uh, and we, when we find somebody who, or we see somebody who uh, opposes me or who's different than I am in those things, your natural tendency is to, to, to justify kind of hatred of you. Um, what, why, why is that person different from me? Here are the reasons and they're all, <laughs> they're all negative. Um, and so you, you, on the one hand, you get to, uh, you get to further your own self-justification and, uh, and also, and also justify your dislike of the other. It's kind of narcissistic and it, it just flows through all of our relationships. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that what's interesting to see in our modern world, um, in our modern American politics, at least is sort of a continuation of a, of a fundamental disagreement going back to, um, Jefferson and Hamilton about um, the role of government and the nature of the human person, because we have a deep suspicion. I mean, Hamilton in particular, you know, brought up, I think we've talked about this before, Scottish um, Presbyterian influence on him um, was very suspicious of uh, the sinfulness of the human person. And then, you know, had a lot to say about the idealism of the enlightenment and the idea of the unchecked human capacity. And so this, we have this birth, our, our American 
political system is actually birthed out of this argument um, that exists to this day about whether or not government is the vehicle whereby the the promise of the perfectibility of human nature and society can come to fruition, or if it's a check on the pretensions and aspirations of the human person. And so um, what we're seeing now, particularly as sort of public Christianity recedes, is that any any self-governance or any idea that perhaps my um, vision of the perfect political utopia should not be simply forced upon my fellow citizen by the the point of gun, because I, I know, in fact, it's it's what's right, just and good. Any question to that is has fallen way out of the um, uh, mainstream of both right and left in many cases. And so what we see is a um, sort of Nietzschean battle for power, because the idea is that if I have the power, since I know the right way forward, then I will simply create this sort of utopia by force. And I think you have a... Um, you, it's again, it's unsurprising to me. Um, I, I was just told recently that I say that a lot. And so now I'm super, uh, super, uh, I guess I'm just not surprised by anything. Um, but it's unsurprising to me that as Christianity um, recedes or has totally um, been uh, eclipsed in some um, many people's minds, um, that our political fervor is um, not only does the fervor and importance rise, which we're seeing, you know, it's a, it's an old alternative religion, but also any Christian in, um, influence on the, the sort of the governance, any, any, any anthropological insight that Christianity may offer to the human person, meaning perhaps you're not always right. <laughs> you know, perhaps your self-interest may be clouding your judgment. Perhaps you need to um, entertain this idea in, amongst those who disagree with you so that perhaps out of um, some, some consideration, a different way forward might be found. Like none of that is part of the, the discourse. And so we have, you know, I don't want to, the, the various news channels, quote unquote news channels, you know, are simply firing up the base to, to go further and further apart because it's easy without compassion, as you said, Nick, without a sense of, of um, your own sinfulness and your own, uh, which then brings a, mal- a, a certain amount of humility to um, to simply demonize those with whom you disagree. And, you know, it's easy to say that. I mean, I find I'm just as prone to that temptation to sin as anyone else. And so I, I and yet one of the things that I confess on a, every Sunday, among the things that I confess and when we do our confession of sin is, you know, Lord, give me compassion, you know, help me, help me understand those with whom I disagree so that I can um, at the very least pastor them, you know, and not have contempt for them, but also perhaps grow to understand something more of who they are and where they're coming from. And um, I, I can imagine it's unsurprising to me that people <laughs> who do not pray that prayer find that they are not being changed into anything that resembles um, a person that looks like that. It, the lack of compassion just goes hand in hand with the lack of, of many of the Christian virtues that leave when they're not even articulated, much less aspired to. And I mean, you think about, you know, lust, prudence, uh, temperance, patience, diligence, you know, these are things that people can't even pronounce or spell, much less aspire to. And these are the things that the pilgrims named their daughters. I know. <laughs> diligence. Come here, Dilly. Don't. Uh, but, that, <laughs> but, that's a, but that's a world. I mean, again, and I'm no fan of Aristotelian virtue ethics as a, as a substitute for, Christian, uh, for Christianity, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, I can see how 
I've grown in my appreciation of how it can be descriptively true of the hope for, for a life of a sanctified life, you know? And so among the things that you would teach your, your, your um, children is, is compassion. But unfortunately what I see, and Matt, you can weigh in on this, is that I think that's if of all of the quote unquote, you know, sort of seven virtues or the, the Christian virtues that people talk about, compassion seems to be the only thing that most people sort of argue for. There is a version of compassion that is uh, very much um, in the water that people use to sort of weaponize their their disagreements with people, which essentially is who are you to judge? You know, which essentially is, you know, you, I mean, cause if you don't have this external referent and the only thing we have is to sort of suffer along, you know, come passion come with passio suffering, then um, we simply become a giant hugging machine, you know, and without being able to actually say, well, some of the reasons you're suffering are because you are transgressing God's good design in X, Y, Z, ways um so let's talk about that but that's not compassion that's faux faux compassion yeah yeah it's it's compassion it's quote-unquote compassion turned to the the use of self-justification again because your people who push that version of compassion don't want any kind of breaks on their behavior don't want any kind of any kind of conviction uh being brought to bear on them so that so compassion means you always affirming me you always agreeing with what i'm doing or at least not getting in the way of what I'm doing or thinking or, or believing. Um, I, I think, I do think, you know, having brought this up that, you know, while we see clearly lacking a lack of true compassion on both sides of the political, political sphere, there are things that are pretty important that you know, we're not, we're not talking about two basically okay political parties um, who that a Christian can easily vote for without any kind of qualms. So we're not, that's not what we're talking about anymore. That may have been what we're talking about back in the 80s, 70s, or whatever, but it's not now, because now we have one major party that's pushing for the murder of babies all the way up till you know, infanticide. So, um, T-minus 10 seconds until Matt Kennedy refers to the Nazis. <laughs> uh. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> I, I break Godwin's law all the time, because yeah, I think it's a do. bad law. It's a bad law. Godwin, Godwin's law, if you don't know what that is, it's a... If you ever, anytime you refer to the Nazis in an argument, you immediately lose the argument because you're, you're using hyperbole. But, and I've said this many times, people don't agree with me. I don't care. I'm going to say it again. That law is actually slander against the Nazis because when we're talking about, when we're talking about abortion, they were, they, yeah, the, the abortion was dwarfs what the Nazis did. So to, 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 to say that our abortion industry is anything like the Holocaust is, is really kind of lie about the Holocaust because it wasn't nearly as bad yeah. or, 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 or both in extent and in nature. We're killing, what, 65 million babies now? So anyway, all that to say, there's some like super important issues at stake in our, in our political life now that I think stirs up in me anyway, and I'm sure with lots of other people, a sense when I look across the aisle that I, I just think, especially the Christians across the aisle. Yes. I yes. Think myself, who are these people? Yes. How can we, we share the same Lord. We read the same Bible. We have the same church and you're, you're casting your ballot for these, these, yeah. these wicked things. How could you possibly do that? And that makes it hard for me anyway, to say to after an election to my Democrat voting Christian brothers to say, hey, let's all sit down around the table again and not mention this. 
But again, that's not compassion, right? Sitting sitting around the table and like no, you're right. high fiving. That's not compassion. What what we're talking about is the ability to see someone else in the same yeah. overall light that you see yourself as a desperate sinner in need of redemption. And that can at least start you to talk to somebody. Yeah. You may never have lunch with them. Or I could start like back. that. I can start like that with my Democratic friend. Yeah. I see that you're really depraved. <laughs> <laughs> that, that explains your vote. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't know anyone, I know very few people who would legitimately start that way as Christians who I don't ultimately agree with on some of these other great issues. I mean, that's, uh, I don't personally know a lot. Um, I'm sure they're out there and that's where, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't have these deep theological conversations and political overlay often, or at least I guess with, with people with whom I disagree. But, um, you know, it seems to be since in my experience that when we're, we're emphasizing these, you know, the sinfulness of humanity and the necessary uh, substitutionary atonement and forensic justification and the authority and inerrancy of scripture, like all of these things that go into being able to full-throatedly confess my desperate need for God's saving intervention only on the cross uh, for my sins and taking upon my guilt and shame for him, you know, the gospel. Um, when we start getting down through that, you know, start checking all these boxes, by the time we get to the bottom, like Matt, I don't have a lot of disagreements with a lot of those people, turns out. You know, we may disagree about, right. you know, tort reform, you know, or like our, our, our ideas about tariffs, you know, or something like, uh, but we're general in general agreement about the role of government uh, to protect people from each other, the fallibility of the human person, and ultimately its its responsibility to protect the lives of the vulnerability and need, the vulnerable and needy, which include not 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 just but include the unborn. So I don't I don't know. I mean that that is I'm with you, Matt. Like I actually talked about this in the class. There was a interesting article about how this political cycle has um, made its way down to Twitter, uh, not Twitter to um, yeah, as if it hasn't uh, to Tinder. <laughs> which I'm sure you're well aware of, Matt, uh, being um, on all social media platforms, including, <laughs> including I'm just kidding. But uh, they were talking about how now there's, you know, all these things, height, weight, I don't, I don't know, I've never been on it, but I assume there's ways to define yourself and it's becoming more and more important in your uh, Tinder swiping right or left if you're, you know, if you're a Republican or Democrat, if you are, um, and that, that was written with a certain, I think, willful naivete by the article if i'm remembering because there was they were seemingly shocked by this yeah i was like what do you mean shocked by that you know of course you would be like you know oh it's You'd not much a rather deal. know that than what size your nose is or something For right? sure yeah. i mean and that's what, what again this goes back to our single conversation right it's like if you actually like before i see a picture of you like here check these you know answer these 10 questions and i'm gonna have a good idea whether or not i'll be attracted to you or at least i could become attracted to you which is much more important than than what the world would consider attractive and so you know it's just surprising to me that there was any surprise that there was any that there was any confusion about how important some of these fundamental questions are because it turns out even if you're not a christian what you think about abortion will determine whether or not you are swipeable material i guess in tinder and, and of course we know that to be the case because it's you know, that's why people leave. That's why people congregate in certain cities. That's why people move, you know, to get away from, from <laughs> to a certain degree, people that they have these genuine fundamental disagreements with. And, 
you know, I'd love to say that we have this huge diverse church or whatever, but because particularly within the ACNA, we've made clear some of these fundamental um, distinctions about life and marriage and human sexuality. We don't have a very diverse congregation when it comes to these. And you wouldn't love to say that you did. No. And I point to people all the time, particularly with respect to abortion and marriage. I say, look, I'm a man under orders. You know, it's like we talked about last week. I, I'm authority of the bishop. I've sworn this oath. And here's what it says about abortion. You know, we protect human life from fertilization to natural death. Like, so that includes all of the life that we, we support. And we have a very clear definition of marriage between one man and one woman. And anything out, any sexual activity outside of that is fornication. So don't argue with me. Like you may, you know, this is what I signed up for. You don't have to, like I do, I did. And I'm under obligation until I renounce these things. And I'm on, I'm unapologetic about that. Like, I'm not going to come after you and I'm not, um, you know, sort of sitting on some high, you know, the seat of Moses, just throwing lightning bolts down at anyone that's a sinner. Like if anything, I'm right there kneeling in front of you with you, um, as the, as the leader of this sinful congregation. And yet we are, we are being judged by this. Like we're not just being indiscriminately judged. We have very clear outlines of what it is, where we have fallen short. And that's what Jesus came to, to, to take upon himself for us. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think compassion, you know, it's, 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 it's an important virtue, but, you know, think about like, you know, hard work, you know, opposite of sloth or, or chastity instead of lust. I mean, like these things are also important. And if you bring that up in the context of a conversation, you're not being compassionate when you're pointing out, you know, perhaps you're, you're, um, you should get off, get out of your parents' basement. You know, like that's one of the slothiness is one of the deadly sins, you know, perhaps you should stop swiping right so often. Um, and you might uh, find some fulfillment in your, uh, your romantic life. Well, all that's not compassionate to say. And so we get painted once again with the, with the great, um, you know, intolerant brush of uh, being a hater or sort of, you know, judgmental or all these things. Um, and then, so I don't know, I don't, I don't see a lot, I don't see a lot of resolution of this problem, but for uh, conversion and salvation, really, um, I think that's going to be the, <laughs> that's, that, that's the way forward. Uh, it's really toxic though, in a church, and it's just speaking in, a, in the context of a congregation, because again, back uh, 80s, 90s, earlier, the differences between political parties or platforms, let's say that they were there, but they weren't as, they weren't as, as life and death significant as, as they are now. And I'm, I'm probably getting my time scale wrong, probably much, much further away than that, but a longer, longer than that. Um, but so a church didn't really have to address politics. You know, you come around election time, you know, you don't have to say, you don't have you you talk about abortion in a general sense because abortion isn't evil, but now it takes on this kind of political weight, and you're and and even though you might just be talking about abortion, your members, your people in your congregation are hearing the or you're hearing you, uh, you know, there's a Republican Matt, <laughs> yeah, standing up there pushing Trump down our throats, and, right. and yeah, I'm not pushing Trump down anyone's throat. I'm just talking about abortion. That's right. um, and so, and the same kind of same kind of toxicity. I, I, I kind of want to talk about this. The same kind of toxicity is here with the mask thing, right? You just so so there are people in my congregation, probably in yours too, who are dead set, who believe that if you put on a mask, you are it's a sign of submission, um, and you are giving in to to a lie. Um, and so they are they're conscientiously against it's your face diaper, Matt. It's, it's your, your face. face yeah, I hate that term. I hate that term with passion. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you should, as you should. <laughs> so they're, they're consciously, they're conscientiously, uh, with the, that word, uh, bound, they feel anyway, not to not to wear a mask. And then you, on the other side, you have, I have people who are just seriously, deathly afraid of, 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 of those who aren't wearing masks and and won't come to build into the building because there are people who they believe aren't, aren't wearing the masks properly. So that then becomes hugely you know toxic. I mean, and and there's contempt on both sides. The, there's there's actual contempt. So the people who won't won't wear masks look at those who do, and they say you're just afraid, you're just a coward, you're afraid mm-hmm. of the government, you're 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 submitting to these people, you're 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 buying into the lie. And the people who are who are wearing masks think the other guy, think the other guys are you're just a conspiracy theorist, wacko from the backwoods who who doesn't know how to, doesn't like science. So <laughs> what's, what's you don't believe you don't believe science. So you know, pastorally, I've tried to think, okay, well, how can I get these people to how can we love each other in the middle of this? And so I've, my, my stance has been, okay, this is the first Corinthians eight moment. Uh, we need to see that the mask is not a gospel issue. It's not, it's, yeah. you can't find, find me a command in the Bible that says wear a mask or don't wear a mask and you can't find one. So what that means is that we need to be, there needs to be freedom here. We need to, we need to construct regulations for how we deal with each other that will, will that will protect both, parties conscience but we don't want to have contempt for one another and we we don't want to uh we, we don't want to let the strong trample on the weak or the weak trample on the strong we've got to figure out a way uh to make this work as a church and it's super hard because mm. of a, i think of a lack of compassion on both sides interesting yeah we've gotten around that um a little bit by blaming the bishop which has been fine Great idea. <laughs> so I, yeah I well i mean it's like he took it for us he said this is our requirement and, but what's nice about it is we've got to do two things. Like we, we opened up basically before every other church in, in Mount Pleasant did, um, as far as I could tell, like for live worship. Uh, there's some churches in our diocese that are just now opening up and we've been open since early mid June, I want to say, but I can't remember the, the before mask dates all run together, but, but at the very least, so I say two things. I'm like, listen, you know, this is from the Bishop and he's got a lot of authority and I mean, got a lot of concerns. And so we're going to, we're going to follow his, his leading. But at the same time, he also was very courageous. And we amongst, you know, many churches and even dioceses around the country um, opened up just about as soon as, as anyone else did. And so for that, we should be very courageous. So I was trying to like, trying to encourage the kind of the anti-maskers that like we're actually part of the the front edge of this um, and encourage the people who are afraid to say, look, you know, we're following more protocols than Harris Teeter or Publix or whatever, you know, Costco. And so, so come on back and be safe. But, you know, as far as an abortion question goes, Matt, I found an interesting, there's, there's been an interesting, I think I may have sent you all the, the tweet, um, statistic coming out by a guy named Michael Ware, and I don't know him, I just found him on Twitter, but he's, he was doing a, he did this um, survey, and he said only 3% of voters reported that abortion was the most important issue facing the country in the past uh, thing, which if that's true, or even if, let's say he's off by magnitude, you know, four, and it's only 12%, you know, or something, if it's, if it's even close to being that low, then I think that's really disappointing for the state of the church. But what's more interesting is this. So this woman professor who teaches at Calvin College named Kristen Kobe Dumay, um, I don't know her, but uh, she wrote the book, uh, Jesus and John Wayne. Do you know this book? 
Um, I've heard of it. I've just started reading it, but I've already can see where it goes. It's basically the history of, of evangelical, quote unquote, evangelical Christianity in America is just a white male patriarchal <laughs> power grab. And, um, you know, and of course it sells uh, really well um, at, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, uh, mainline church discussion groups going on about it. But anyway, the point is she wrote this, she retweeted it and said this period, you know, ah, so this love is it. Yeah. Uh, so in answer to only 3% of the voters reported abortion was the most important issue, she said, which doesn't mean abortion isn't important. It provides a moral veneer to the whole constellation of issues that motivate voters on the right. A moral veneer. Like that's that's what the actual sort of progressive Amazing. Christians think is that that we we use abortion because it gets people fired up so that we can then sort of, you know, it's a Trojan horse for all of our other actual concerns, which according to Jesus and John Wayne have a lot more to do with just a loss of 1950s um, sort of patriarchal white supremacy in America than it does actual care for the unborn. And it's just such a, a cynical Christian, quote unquote, Christian take on on the entire industry. I mean, this is where you get, we've talked about it before, the and campaign, you know, Christians throwback, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're pro-life all of life, you know, um, because you Christians only care about lives until they're born. I mean, I've heard these things and I say, you know, I have, uh, and we've talked about this before, but you know, I have uh, an adopted son. We're supporting people actively who are involved in fostering kids. We do, we're helping reading programs. Like we're, we support all sorts of after birth, you know, uh, life enhancing uh, materials. Uh, I mean, um, in, in, in uh, institutions, what are you doing? Like you're just angry with me is all I can tell. Like you're usually single, you're on Twitter, you're living, um, you know, uh, an amoral non-Christian life and you're just yelling at me, you know? So um, excuse me if I don't take that very seriously when you say that I'm not pro all of life that I'm only concerned about life before it's born. Because if you happen to get pregnant, I'll be happy to take care of your after having been born child for you. It just makes me, it's, it's, I'm, my head starting to, I mean, not explode, but like, I'm just starting to unfollow and silence a lot of this because I tried to engage and you try to even put your life where your, your words are, you know, like, I mean, try to, yeah. try it's not to about your the, life. It's about the alleged policies of the politician you support. Which yeah, I mean, they're proxies for like our life. own virtues. Yeah. Yeah, and they become these like, you know, they're our, um, they're the, um, you know, Joe Bush is a volcano. Like they're all of our Joes, like being thrown into the volcano for, on behalf of, of us. That I don't, I thought that was funny. The brain cloud. He's <laughs> it's going been too long real, since I saw Joe oh my versus gosh. the volcano. He's like, he needs something <laughs> waterproof. They can withstand, uh, he goes to the luggage store and he goes, you know, and he says, oh, you're going on a real journey. And then he opens up the, anyway. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, this is where, but see, Matt, this is where I think, uh, and I'd be interested to hear what y'all say. Like I, you know, I've been, I've been accused of being divisive and hard edged and uncompassionate and um, argumentative and one issue voter and all these terrible things I supposedly am. And I'm, you know, I defend myself for a while about this. And then eventually I'm like, well, you know what, I'm just going to stop listening to you say that about me and, and, and hang out with, you know, the not millions and billions of people, but those who seem to not see that uh, and actually are comforted by some conviction and, and sort of heartfelt um, courage in some of these areas. And that's b- become more and more of a divide. 
you know, because it doesn't seem to all the arguing and all of the kind of posturing and the tweeting back and forth and the, the long emails or the long Facebook posts, like for me, hasn't really done anything to move the dial. Hasn't changed my opinion. It's only changed my opinion to the negative of almost everyone that I've interacted with. And it has revealed some, some um, unlikely allies across the world, but you know, that's only such an encouragement, but by and large, it's been more of an exhaustion than anything else. And so part of me, like we were talking about before, is that maybe all of this on the other side is just, you know what, like I am pro-life, like I'm not anti-woman and I'm not certainly not anti-pregnant, single pregnant woman. Like I will do anything I can to help this, this woman. And, and I'm just going to do that. And you can say that it's all these things or that I'm this, that or the other, but, but that's, that's just not true. And that just goes down the host of lists, uh, you know, just checks all these boxes. Like you can say that I'm, we're homophobic or transphobic or we're judgmental or we're angry or we're patriarchal or wherever it would say all this you want, but I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to listen to it less on the other side of this because the, to the extent that we had this four year dialogue, it seems to have just made things worse <laughs> to a certain degree. And, you know, I've been grateful that in the midst of that, some people have sort of risen that I've taken great comfort from who have, who have been uh, sort of walking through these past years with us. And I look forward to, to continuing that conversation with them on the other side of this. But, but for me personally, I feel like the, the politicization of what I would consider to be basic Christian morality, I'm tired of arguing about that. Like, I don't care who you vote for, but this is what is, is good, true, and beautiful that God has, has revealed to us. And, you know, I think mask is, is a perfect example. That seems to be adiaphora to me um, to a certain degree. I mean, you talk about political theory and you want to get into Berkey and conservatism and things and the reach of the government. That's an interesting conversation, but the actual wearing of a mask is not on the same scale as whether or not you support unrestricted abortion or not. <laughs> you know, it's just isn't. Yeah. Um, and I think you're wise to walk people through that. It, it, I was interviewed this week with uh, on David Olds. Um, well, I'm not sure what it is. Is it a show? David Olds, our <laughs> colleague on Stand Firm, but he has his own little David, special David Old podcast. Old Lang Syne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> he's, uh, he's Australian, and uh, and he has a lot of people in his cultural context. Uh, he's English, but he's in Australia. He should call uh, it, it's old down here. It's old. <laughs> 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 uh yeah he's he's very special he's he so he has people evangelicals there so scratching their heads how can how can so many vote for for trump and a lot in fact he said he I, he either he mentioned or someone else was talking about this mentioned that book you just mentioned jesus and john wayne mm. and from their from the australian kind of european english perspective it looks crazy. They, 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 they think we are insane to vote for, uh, for Trump and, uh, they don't see why. And I, I kind of pushed it back on them, not maybe not on that show, but in, on, in other conversations and, you know, what is abortion conversation among evangelicals over there when it comes to voting? Is that even something you, that, that you, you, you think about when you're going to the ballot box? And it turns out they've just kind of given that issue doesn't even yeah. cost their, the radar screen of their minds when they're thinking about what, who they're going to vote for. Cause I don't even think there's a major party that is pro-life. I think they're well, 
but it's interesting too is that many parts of europe i can't speak for australia um but i know many parts of europe actually have more restrictive abortion regulations than than we do um you know they actually don't have uh, late, what we will call uh, partial birth abortion or late term. I don't have the, statistic, the statistics in front of me, but I know Al Mohler talks a lot about how even places like Germany and France, you know, sort of these secular um, sort of Western, you know, kind of progressive countries um, still have like, you know, first trimester that's the only time you can have an abortion or something or they're or just not actually like getting pregnant. Well, that's also the problem. <laughs> yeah. It's like Italy. They don't have a problem getting, having any uh, abortions because no one, yeah, there aren't any babies. Um, but you know, this is an interesting point of this is that so and when we were in Europe for that many years when, and particularly um, well, in all in both the church of England parishes I served, abortion is so prevalent that whenever we saw a down syndrome child, that without even knowing anything about the person we saw down syndrome child, it was and it's anecdotal, but it was a hundred percent true to my experience. It was a visiting American, either American posted over there, or it was people vacationing with Americans vacationing because the, the idea that you would keep to term a, a child with down syndrome, is just unthinkable to many people in those parts of, of Europe. And it's of course becoming increasingly so today, even though we just saw the first uh, Down syndrome uh, Iron Man kid that won. I mean, that was in powerful. I remember when I was and young. Very celebrated. Very celebrated. Should be. Should be. Um, absolutely. Yeah, it's just a weird. Was- it's a weird thing to have two things happening at the same time. One to celebrate the accomplishment, the wonderful accomplishment, but then also subconsciously thinking, well, that that's really not much of a life. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, and that's what has to be at least exposed because that's what you have to be. That's what Shaver kept calling the logical end of your false assumption. You know, you who are celebrating that simultaneously say that his life should not have been allowed, particularly if he were to have been born into a quote unquote, you know, or a situation that you didn't think could have supported him to the extent that, that he should have been, you know, like a low income family or sort of disadvantaged in some way. And I mean, I think that's, that's the insidious end of that um, non-Christian logic and we have to confront it at every point. And I think that getting involved in, um, you know, uh, in the institution that is celebrating the life of the handicapped people in, in whatever capacity, you know, showing that all life, uh, despite being broken and marred by sin is certainly worth living, certainly giving the chance to live, um, is an important part of being pro-life, which is why like, I'm interested. I don't know if y'all have a, a, a chapter, but we're starting a chapter here, Anglicans for life chapter. And I've just received the, um, sort of the charter documents for it. And I was excited to see it's that they say, you know, we're not just anti-abortion, but, but we are, but we're pro fostering, we're pro adoption, we're pro, you know, helping visiting the old, uh, you know, the, the lonely and the elder, elderly, uh, you know, in various hospitals and, and old folks homes. And I loved that because that's just full-throated entire panoply of actually putting uh, uh, teeth or, or bones, flesh, all of those, various bodily parts to uh, the argument that we are in fact pro-life. But I think, you know, back to the whole thing of compassion. I mean, I think that like anything else, a virtue quote unquote, that is not grounded in the revelation of God in Christ through the scriptures is ultimately going to be a projection of your own will to power um, because you will be meeting it the most adequately. And the problem with the world is that it's, 
its lack of your virtue in everyone else. And we see that with compassion, you know, like, don't you know, I'm compassionate. I'm so compassionate. Can't you see how compassionate I am louder and louder until, well, I'm just going to have to force you to see how compassionate I am for your own good. And, you know, just insert any other, you know, supposedly uh, virtuous thing there. And we see how um, the great reversal is that what God calls good, we call evil, and what we think is good, God is actually condemned as an evil. And so we're looking at um, that happen just playing out in front of us. But but thank God we didn't write the script, and it has been given to us, and so we're not we're not unsurprised. So, so we can say. <laughs> we are unsurprised. We're not surprised. That's right. We are unsurprised. Yes. So we can say looking at, you know, looking across the aisle and, and uh, now the election's over, well, sort of uh, we can say everything but the shouting as they say everything but the shouting right we can say all right well you voted for a pro-abortionist candidate i think that was wrong i think yes. that was a sin even um and yet I, I know myself to be a sinner so and i'm sure there are things that i'm just blind about i don't see that, I'm, that, I, that I, I think i'm doing the right thing and i'm not doing the right thing so therefore i can forgive and, and go on and treating this other person like a, a center like my human being center like myself yeah but as a pastor if you say that you're i mean don't don't be surprised <laughs> oh wait if i say you're sinning by voting for for uh for Biden, yeah yeah i i i have i didn't say that i'm so but defeated i said I'm so i said, I, said it, I did never i i said this it, this is why it's important to have Christian ed. Not yeah, you know, we have Bible studies during the week, but on Sunday morning we have Christian ed where we can talk about like issues. So I'll make sure once a year, not around election time, to have like what a what a Christian, how a Christian acts in the voting booth kind of class. You know, where, where, where there's not there's not the heat of the election coming down. But, but I'll say, okay, well, your vote is an act of governance, and our, under our Constitution, you're one of the rulers in, in Romans 13. So it's up to you to exercise your rule in a way that's consistent with God's word. So I, I don't think you should vote for anybody who's openly pushing abortion. I don't think you should, you should, you should do everything you can to vote for people who are, who are going to restore marriage, those kinds of things. But outside the context of election time and election time comes, I already laid that foundation down. All I don't have to go there. So nice. Right, so you you just want the people to leave your church well before election, as opposed exactly, to yeah, right, uh, right. <laughs> that's, that's a good plan. I think that's good. That's right. Cut off the, just cut it off soon. Like we might as well get this over with. Which I think there's a lot to commend. There's a lot to be commended. A full scope new members class is very important. Well, and with the ACNA cards eight. on the table. And that's yep. why I love the ACNA. The bishops, which we talked about last week, have have given us ample uh, clarity on right. some of these hot button issues that we can just say, listen, you know, this is what we signed up for. This is the church you're going to get. You shouldn't be surprised. You should ask these questions of any church that you're about to join. You know, these are important questions to answer. And um, if you don't like our answer, then, you know, we we bless you. But I won't be surprised if you... Go somewhere else. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to learn some more words. Oh. <laughs> no, it's that anyway. Well, I'm going to be sure to describe this conversation as wide ranging uh, <laughs> when I post the podcast this week. Um, I think that we have though come to the end of our time. Uh, we do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And if you want to continue the conversation, we hope that you will send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. You can always rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We love the interaction. It's a great encouragement for us. 
Um, thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon. We'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.